0: One by one, men and women of the Osage tribe are being murdered. And it seems one family is the target. And even though these crimes are being investigated, they lead to dead ends Mm. or dead people. Oh, the book. Killers of the Flower Moon. The author, David Grand. And you're listening to the fifth season of Liz's. Listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama, y'all. We are back for our fifth season. Carrie, how does it feel? I don't know.
1: So we've got four years down, right? That's Mm -hmm. what it means. We're starting our fifth year with this episode, and I don't know. It doesn't feel that long to me. We've had fun. We've read a lot of great books. Yeah, I agree. I agree what about I you know. how did, does it feel like we're starting the fifth year <laughs> i think it does feel like that to me so <laughs> happened in the, yeah. five years so yeah.
0: yeah definitely feels like it's been five years but i'm excited i'm excited to start a new season yeah me too um this is our money making year so yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> where we gonna be we where, the excited, money That's right. where the money <laughs> 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 we is not playing this year Right.
0: Where the money reside. So (laughs) look, folks, usually we start the podcast off with our theme of the week. And I'm gonna push that to the end again because it has a little bit to do with what the book is about. Mm-hmm. And so if y'all read that, let's get started into it. Uh Kari, what can you tell us about the author and maybe oh. some context for the book?
1: So our author for this week's book is David Grant. Mm-hmm. And we did talk about him um, a little bit in last season, but David Grant oh, holds right. a degree in government and a master's degree in international relations. He's a career writer, a former staff writer for the New York Times and an amazing nonfiction author. For more on him, though, guys, please listen to our episode on The Wager. And again, that's from last season. Okay. Alexis, who do you think would enjoy Killers of the
0: Flower Moon? Okay, so when I think about that book, this book, I think about anybody who um, likes uh, uh, nonfiction, historical fiction, Even though this is a fact book, I feel like this book reads as a fiction um, novel. So I think anybody who
1: likes true crime, let's start with that. True crime would love this book. There's a part in it where he describes a man getting up from the table, likely putting on his hat over his low hung eyes or something like that. And I was like... Well, he did at one point want to be a novelist, uh-huh. so it really shows in his nonfiction. It's not that he's taking liberties. No. He's just infusing life into these facts, like you said. Yeah. Um, so he does use words like you can imagine this happening or perhaps this is why they were motivated to take this action. Yeah. And it reminds me of Isabel Wilkerson who oh, um yeah. whose writing we really enjoy. She's also able to take nonfiction and make it feel like a story. Yeah. Engage you in that way.
0: And I think that's why they made her stuff into a movie anyway. Yeah,
1: she's another one. Origin right? is yeah. out. Have you seen it? I haven't yet. Yeah. Is me it it's out already officially? Mm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah, no, I haven't
0: seen that yet. Yeah,
1: I think all of these books, aside from one, all the books for February and March are made into movies or will be made into movies. I don't think we've seen any of them movies. <laughs> <laughs> we good. We got the book. I know. Do <laughs> well, you really need more? You don't. You don't need more. And it's not more. fiction, so they're not going to change it up. The right. facts are because the facts, right?
0: Exactly. I don't know. Mm -hmm. All Mm -hmm. of them words Mm -hmm. at once. Okay? Yeah. Anyway, so why don't you tell us why you chose this book?
1: Yeah, I chose it because I want our numbers sky high for this year. (laughs) I want people to be listening. Welcome new listeners who just found our show because of Killers of the Flower Moon. And thank you to our Day one, I mean, y'all message us, y'all show us love, you write us letters, uh, you send us your books. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting our show. Mm -hmm. So because Killers of the Flower Moon is, of course, nominated, the movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, I believe it's a Scorsese movie, is nominated for an Oscar or four, then um, I was like, let's read the book. It's been on our list anyway, ever since we read The Wager by David Grant, Mm -hmm. we we wanted to read more Mm by him. So Yeah.
0: Well, then, why don't we take a quick break? Okay. And then we come back, then we're gonna take our deep dive. Okay, let's do it. All right. And we're back. Yes. Okay, listen, I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Are y'all ready? Let's take this deep dive into Killers of the Flower Moon. Let's do it.
1: Okay, I would like to begin with a reading of a passage. I love when you do that. Let's do it. Let's hear it. (laughs) And this um, lets us know where the title of this book comes from. Oh, good. Okay, good. The book starts with In April, millions of tiny flowers spread over the blackjack hills and vast prairies in the Osage Territory of Oklahoma. There are Johnny Jump Ups and Spring Beauties and Little Blutes. The Osage writer, John Joseph Matthews, observed that the galaxy of petals makes it looks look as if the gods had left confetti. In May, when coyotes howl beneath an unnervingly large moon, taller plants, such as spider warts and black-eyed Susans, begin to creep over the tinier blooms, stilling their light and water. The necks of the smaller flowers break and their petals flutter away, and before long, they are buried underground. This is why the Osage Indians refer to May as the time of the flower-killing moon. Can I just say I love that? I love how it's written. Not only is this a beautiful word picture, but there are layers. Yeah. So we have here a prairie full of the smaller flowers, the ones that have been there for a season. And then we have the taller flowers coming up and forcing their way in, stealing the water, the resources, the gold, the money, the oil um, from the smaller flowers. Breaking them, their necks. Breaking their necks. Breaking them. Thank you, David. Mm-hmm. OK, so let's begin, Alexis, with the vanishing. Mm-hmm. May 24th, 1921. So we're going to start with Molly Burkhart. Can you tell us a little bit about Molly? Who is she? Okay, so Molly is part of the Osage tribe. Yeah,
0: she had three sisters, mm-hmm. and her mom is still living. I'm not. I don't remember much about her father, but um, I think she's the older sister, or she one sister older than her, or something like that. And she's married to um, his name is Ernest Burkhardt.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when we meet Molly, she's 33, 34 years old. Uh, she married a beautiful cowboy. Now there's pictures in this book, so the jury's out. But <laughs> the I writer... see the pictures yet. I can't wait to see them. Mm. Did you see the photos? In I the did book? not. Oh, no. Okay. Well. Okay. Later. later. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. The writer David Grant describes Molly's husband as a beautiful cowboy named Ernest Burkhart, five years younger than her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she spoke only a little English, so he learned her language. And cared for her as he befriended her before Mm -hmm. they began courting, if indeed that you could call it that. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, she battles with diabetes. Uh, Yeah, that's what I was going to interject. Okay, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So he began caring for her. Uh, around the time, it sounds like around the time they met, yep. she began battling with it. And so uh, this is the time when he showed himself to be really attentive. Uh, there was another man expressing interest in her. And so he professed his devotion to her right away. Um, yeah. And they vowed to love each other for eternity. They had two children, Elizabeth and James. James was actually nicknamed Cowboy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, imagine being a whole Indian and nicknaming your son cowboy. But these are the times, and don't let's not judges. Let's not be judges. So let me stop judging. Okay. Now, Molly's childhood was one of assimilation, right? So, uh, of course, we see her name is Molly. That's an American name. (laughs) Um, um, Her original name, what she was given at birth, was kind of washed away. Uh, She was raised uh, in an assimilation driven school by nuns. Um, She grew up um, observing the Catholic faith mixed in with a few traditions. Now we meet Anna Brown. Anna is less than a year younger than Molly. She's Molly's sister. Anna is one of Molly's three sisters, like you said, the oldest and the most spoiled by the mother. Mm -hmm. Anna enjoyed sprees, as the family would call it. And what are her sprees, Alexis? Uh, She liked to drink a little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, drinking and dancing with Mm -hmm. friends all night long. And we do meet all night. Yeah. Um she usually returned to Molly's home the next morning and moved without hurry through the house a sound that Molly enjoyed it made her feel good knowing her sister was safe back home after right. her spree Anna had not returned home though in 3 days and that's where we're meeting Molly she's dealing with a sister who hasn't returned home in 3 days Let's talk a little about the Osage wealth In the 1870s the Osage were driven from their land to a plot of land that was assumed to be worthless. And they purchased it. It wasn't given to them by the country. They bought this land. That land ended up being one of the most oiled field areas in America. Prospectors had to pay the Osage to drill and the dividends grew into the hundreds of millions, according to today's value, currency value. Back then, the government had promised the Native Americans they'd never be removed from their land. It's never going to happen. But soon they forcibly removed them. This is before that plot of land was purchased, when they were minding, drinking water, minding their biz. Um, Next day, they got to go. Yeah. Before the government ordered them to a reservation, however, white settlers came in and began terrorizing them. They were literally killing the Osage, scalping them and driving Native Americans from their homes. Uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder who wrote Little Little House House on on the the Prairie. Prairie. Her family was among these white settlers and Little House on the Prairie is the story of her childhood. Um, And when the Osage got this money from the leasers who wanted to drill on their land, then media began painting these scenes of campfires surrounded by luxury cars, private drivers, the latest fashions under uh, Native American blankets, beautiful homes, art houses, white servants, Mm -hmm. black. American and Mexican servants, too. It was doing the thing. Some of this was true. Some of it wasn't. One evening, as Molly was preparing for a dinner party, uh, she had her husband to phone Anna to care for Lizzie. This is before Anna went missing. Lizzie is their mother. Lizzie, it seems, lives with Molly, right? Um, And that mom was ill. She was like always ill. She Mm -hmm. was like suffering from a wasting disease, which is very vague. She very, she wasting.
0: Yeah, and she, hers was similar
1: to the older sisters that died from a wasting disease, right? But they, maybe like not the oldest, because I think Anna was the oldest, but maybe they had one above them at one point and she died. Oh, okay. So many that died, yeah. mm, that she's, sounds not, right. she's somewhere in there, in mm-hmm. the line of
0: family. Yeah, someone in else in
1: the family had this wasting disease mm-hmm. too. And it's very vague what that really means. Very vague. Mm-hmm. So- Molly was like, Ernest, baby, can you please call Anna to come care for Lizzie while we have this dinner party? Anna showed up because when Anna heard that her mother (laughs) needed help. Now, Anna's the oldest, but she's spoiled. So she was like, Mama need what? I'll be there in two seconds. So she showed up. And what was her condition, Alexis? Do you remember? She was a little drunk. Anna was wasted. She um, showed up cute and drunk carrying an alligator purse. In attendance at the dinner party was Ernest's family, including his loud racist aunt. And Molly did not welcome any fuel for that goat's mouth. She's like, why is my drunk sister here? So that the aunt can spew even more hatred. Um, Ernest's brothers were there also. And the youngest of Ernest Brothers was named Brian and occasionally Anna dated him. (laughs) So she's inebriated and she begins openly flirting with Brian at the table. I think Brian asked one of the servants if they wanted to join him to see a show uh, later after dinner. And Anna said, if you look at another woman, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. Anna fought with everyone that night and just... And not so much in jest. Mm. when Brian asked one of the servants if she'd go out with him again, there was that fight. And at the end of the night, before everyone went to see a show because they did have plans to see a musical downtown, the servants were even scared of uh, Anna. <laughs> Molly began caring for her mother toward the end of the evening and caring for Anna, bringing her back to sobriety. Yeah. Brian offered to take Anna home uh, before heading to the show with everyone else. That was the last time Anna was seen alive by Molly. So now we have our doubts, right? Our concerns. Who mm-hmm. are you thinking about now? The, as person, a that dropped, uh,
0: the person that dropped her off. I can't help
1: it. Of course. Mm-hmm. Right. We're like, who is Brian? Do we really know him? Yes. yes. How come Anna was in his care and then she never seemed to make it home? Exactly. A week after Anna's disappearance, the body of Charles Whitehorn was found. Do you remember who Charles Whitehorn was? Is he like their cousin or is that somebody else? I can't remember. I'm not sure. He may have been a cousin. He was part of the Osage tribe. Hmm. But he um, was a responsible man, a good looking man. I think he was half Osage, half American. Um, And he'd been shot execution style. His body was found. A man and his son went hunting for squirrels, finding Anna's bloated body soon after Charles Whitehorn's body was found. Anna's body was decomposing while near a ravine. They rushed, the man and his son rushed back to town to alert the proprietor. Now they don't have like necessarily a sheriff or a police force that they can go grab. So they um, went to grab the proprietor of the Big Hill Trading Company, whose name was Scott Mathis. Scott Mathis then alerted an undertaker. They only recognized Anna by prying her mouth open and seeing her gold teeth. Very sad. So we're going to take a break from that and talk briefly about the formation of the police. Oh. Only in the mid 19th century, when fear of class and race overshadowed fear of nation, the citizens cry for a police force. No one wanted a police force. Before then, because they all wanted to be sovereign of their own plot of land. Yeah. A man was the sheriff of his household. Mm-hmm. You know, so why, why does he need a police force? Someone steals from him. He'll just, you know, send them up to home or something. Whatever they used to say back then. Up the guess. river? Yeah. Up the, no, that's no, jail. that's jail. Um, he would end their life. He would unalive them. Take them out. Yeah. So people were really ruthless and they didn't think it that they the needed wild, a police wild west. Yeah. But this was actually the case all over the all over the Americas. <sighs> there was no police no police force mm-hmm. standard within every county. Um but as people grew more afraid of um Irish people, Black people, of course, first and foremost, um, they cried for this police force to keep law and order. But vestiges of citizen policing remained in the parts of the country that seemed to be on the border. And I love the way Grant says this of both geography and history. Mm. So as everyone is, quote unquote, progressing, there are still pieces of the country that are like you said, the Wild West. It was common for these crowd appointed men not trained in the law right. to also be targets of corruption. Because if the whole town is like, you can be our arranger, you can be our pseudo police force. And, you know, I'll give you a couple dollars to not look into the speakeasy, <laughs> the speakeasy in my basement or something. People would take that money all the time. It was common. Right. Um, yeah. So if you had enough money money or influence, you could avoid the law. Yep. Nothing like today. Yep. In Anna's case, the justice of the peace selected the jury among the white men at the ravine. They was like, who all was at the ravine? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. They the jury. Okay. So in Anna's case, the justice of the peace selected the jury among the men that were at the ravine. He was like, who mm-hmm. are there? Okay, they the jury. And so they were given the task of determining if Anna's Death was caused by an act of God or an act of man, quote unquote, act of God or act of man. Anna's family doctor was tasked with doing the autopsy and it was rough. This is a like medieval type of situation. So they found a bullet wound in the back of her head that ruled out any natural reason for her death. Um, And it was determined that she was drinking by the water when someone walked up behind her and shot her in the head. What is really noteworthy is that they saw an entry wound, but no exit wound, right? Yeah, no exit wound. Which means that the bullet should have been in her brain. They should have found it. Yeah. So the funeral was a mix of Osage and Catholic traditions, as was the family's custom. The killings of Charles Whitehorn and Anna Brown sent a sensation through the area. Both wealthy 30-something Osage people, both of them shot. You know, this is really scary. It's not like this is a huge population. Why are they being, why are they being killed? Who is the murderer? Why are these people dying? Right. Brian, remember he's the youngest of Ernest's brothers. He had no evidence against him aside from being the one that took Anna home. So investigators kind of had to let that theory go that he might be the cause of Anna's death.
0: Right. Because they also had, he had an alibi because he was at the movies or something.
1: Well, they had all went to see that musical. So mm, anyway, Anna's ex-husband was once deemed no good, capable of doing anything for money. Um, soon, a check forger went to authorities with the claim that Brown had paid him for Anna's murder. Um, the forger and Brown were arrested. Soon, though, no proof of the forger's story uh, came to light. Both men were released. What I'm trying to say is there was no leads. for Anna's death for this case. Two months after her daughter's death, Lizzie died. The mom died of a mysterious wasting disease. Mm -hmm. The family's last strong tie to their tribe was now gone. Enter William, nicknamed Bill, Hale. Can you tell us a little something about old Billy Hale?
0: Billy Hale is the uncle to Ernest Burkhart. He kind of um, runs the town, if you will. He came in approximately two decades ago. Yeah. And he he came in very poor and grubby looking, but he ended up making a name for himself. At some point during his uh, 20 years, he owned some. A farm or something and went bankrupt. But then he was able to build up an empire and it was really running the whole country. Yeah, that's exactly it.
1: And he always seemed to be a man with a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. He was always walking with purpose. He was always determined to achieve some goal. Yep, yep. It was described later in the book that he's the type of man that you meet and love right away. But if you spend too much time with him, Basically, you realize he could kill you. Yes, (laughs) that was
0: very interesting, right?
1: Just that he could have that much control over someone. Um, That's what it was getting to, I think. His charisma could turn into a scary sort of power over people. Mm -hmm. Um, So like Alexis said, he was always reaching for this financial success. Um, But in the meantime, he did donate the money he could to charities that benefited Osage tribe members. Um, He looked after them. One doctor said he couldn't count how many people ate because William Hale fed them how many people received medical care on William Hale's tab. He also
0: was a religious man.
1: Yeah, he would sometimes sign his checks as Reverend W. Hale, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And he... He made it openly known that his mission in life was to be the protector of what he called God-fearing souls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He also wrote um, an assistant chief once and let him know that he was always the friend of the Osage people. So when all these investigators were coming up with nothing in search for her sister's killer, um, Molly, of course, turned to William Hale. There's also a story of Will of William Hale. I'll call him Hale. Um helping a shopkeeper catch a robber. Do you remember that? This uh, is the little ways he was helping both Native American and white people in the area. Is that when there was gonna be a break in and he yeah. gave
0: he gave notice about it so the shopkeeper could be there and the shopkeeper was there and he ended up um killing the man because he, you know, yeah. caught him
1: still in? Yep. So the shopkeeper didn't know what to do. William was like, you hide out. This is what we'll do and we'll catch him. And yeah, you're right. The shopkeeper killed the robber. Um, So Hale once uh, decided, once he decided on something, he would see it through. And so in Molly's eyes, that was the man that would find Anna's killer. Lizzie's death was peculiar. Going back to the mom. After speaking with doctors and local investigators, Bill Smith, who's Molly's brother-in-law, He's married to Rita. That's right. Molly has a sister named Rita. She's married to a white man named Bill Smith. Um, Bill was like, this is fishy. (laughs) Uh, He determined that Lizzie had been poisoned. So Bill Smith was sure that all three deaths were connected to the Osage's Black Gold, which Mm. is another name for oil. So all these sisters married white men. Um, The mom died suspiciously. Anna was shot in the head and we think another sister
0: was a wasting disease. And then
1: we have Charles Whitehorn. He's dead. Mm -hmm. And Bill, who's uh, one of the husbands of the sisters, he's like something is wrong. He was also like a suspect for some time, but there was nothing against him. Um, Due to the sheriff having legal troubles of his own, a private investigator was hired to look into the case. Hale hired a man named Pike. Right. So there were a few private investigators and Pike worked for Hale. Right. Anna's estate administered by Scott Mathis. Remember, he was the proprietor of that company that first heard that's who the um man and his son grabbed when he found Anna's body. He like right, went right. to the proprietor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was Scott Mathis. So um Anna's estate was administered by Scott Mathis. She was like his ward. Why? Because we already know Anna's in her mid thirties. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, Anna and Molly, but in this case, Anna. So why did why was Anna deemed a ward of the state, basically? So
0: the way this worked, um, the government felt like uh felt like the Osage were um incapable of managing their own money. They had labeled them incompetent and thus not able to draw their money whenever they wanted. So they had to put a guardian over them. Nine times out of ten, these guardians were Um, white men, and Mm -hmm. in some cases, it was the husband of some of the women, Mm -hmm. and they could distribute the money to them Mm -hmm. as they needed, as they saw fit exactly because the government saw, um, the Osage as like five or six years old because they'll buy whatever they saw,
1: yeah. And this is during the 20s, right? The rowing 20s. Am yeah. I incorrect? Let's yeah. See. Right yeah. around that time. Yeah, exactly. Because we met Molly in 1921. So this yeah. is a time when the nation was high on optimism and a lot of people. This is the Great Gatsby era. A lot of people were just affluent, um, spending monies <laughs> the age of excess yes there yes. we go thank you mm-hmm. alexis so uh it was okay when everybody else did it when i say shit it was a problem so they got guardians but anyway um anna's estate again was ran by mathis and mathis um got a team of investigators to look into her death this is what the team of investigators found uh-huh number one Brian seemed to tell the truth about bringing Anna home. Hey. Number two, a servant found Anna's alligator purse strung out on the floor. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. Number three, an operator's log showed that someone called Anna after she'd arrived home and she picked up. But it was suspected that this call was faked because there was no record of that call being received. Okay. A woman said someone named Rose shot Anna in the head for flirting with her husband Joe, but no evidence was found to prove that. OK? And then lastly, Anna was likely pregnant. She told somebody, "I got a baby in here." whoa,
0: Glock, look, Look! look.
1: It was the 20s it was, yeah, it was the time. There was a rumor that Whitehorn's widow was jealous of the attention he gave another woman. And perhaps that woman was Anna. So maybe these two murders were connected because these people were spending time together when they shouldn't have been.
0: So there's stories around about who could possibly be the killer Mm -hmm. of um, Anna, right? Yeah, but
1: some of these stories seem to be created and fed to investigators. Yeah. They weren't coming to these stories because of evidence. People they were would find the them. story and try to look for evidence. and wouldn't find any. The, f-
0: the story would find the investigators yeah. if you ask me. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Exactly. The detective shared what they knew with Molly's brother-in-law, Bill Smith, who was conducting his own investigation. Smith was a horse thief before marrying Molly's sister, Oh, Minnie. I'm sorry. I think I said he was married to Rita. So
0: he was married to Minnie. Minnie died. And then he married Rita. Say that one more time, please. Bill. Bill Smith. Was married to Minnie, the other sister of Molly that died. And when Minnie died, he ended up marrying Rita.
1: Yeah, he married twice in the same family. He married the siblings. Mm hmm. And she died of a wasting disease. There we go. After her death, Smith married another sister named Rita. He beat Rita, who often threatened to leave him, but never did, perhaps due to love and devotion. Uh, Nine months later, the investigation stalled and detectives were dropping from the case. It was going nowhere. They was like, forget this. William Stetson, a 29-year-old champion steer roper in fantastic shape, received a call that month that prompted him to leave his home. When he returned back home, several hours later, he died. Dropped dead. He dropped dead. Authorities believe that someone, while he was away from home, s- uh, slipped him strychnine. And strychnine is a poison that freezes the body before throwing it into spasms, bending back the head, constricting the lungs and tormenting the victim before suff- suffocating them. Stetson left behind a wife and six children. Barney McBride, a wealthy white oil man, was called on by the Osage to plead their case in Washington, D.C. McBride was once married to a Cree woman who had since died and he was raising their stepdaughter. When he made it to Washington, D.C., there was a note waiting for him in his hotel. Sorry, I'm so excited. I'm stuttering. Do you remember what that note said? Be careful. Watch out. Two words. Be careful careful. Now if I go anywhere and it'd be a whole letter like Dear Kari, I open the letter Dear Kari, be careful What you gonna do? Leave wherever I am. Why would you leave? I don't know You're not being careful I'm then I'm not being careful <laughs> <laughs> What do you do? Ooh. So his Barney McBride who was raising the stepdaughter of his him and his uh, his widow no, he's the widower. Anyway, the point is his naked body was found the next morning, stabbed over 20 times. And his head was kicked in, shattered. It was a warning and the sign of a conspiracy to kill wealthy Osage people. This,
0: at this point, it, it's very clear there's a conspiracy, right? If Absolutely. it wasn't before, it is now because this man was a friend to the Osage. They asked him to go, he had connections in Washington. He was going to meet with them, talk to them about right. the problem. And he shows up dead before he even has a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know. conspiracy mm-hmm. Exactly. So while this was occurring, leases for the Osage land were still being auctioned off at record prices. America's media were in a frenzy. Something had to be done to stop Native Americans from becoming so wealthy, more wealthy than many white people. <laughs> this was the news. This was yeah, like they was page. really hating
0: that, right? Yeah, something has to be done about it. That's why? loaded, this right? This is a
1: time of excess. Everybody's mm-hmm. spending money if mm-hmm. they got it. Yeah, the and way it's they important to to know that the Osage did not choose this land because they wanted to leave. They were driven from their homes. Found this land that no one wanted. That's why no they wanted. chose it. No <laughs> they were like, no it. one wants this land. It's rocky. It's hilly. It's mountains. Um, no one will drive us from our home if we live here. It well, lo and be able- behold, it's oil there. Yeah. So now here come all these spectators, and they have to pay to to drill on their land. And it was the there was one expression that said
0: um, they wouldn't have got that land if if we didn't set it up for them. Yes. What
1: is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Articles conjured stereotypes to describe how the Osage were wasting their fortunes, discarding grand pianos in the front lawn, scrapping cars for new bottles due to a flat tire, which flex if that's
0: true and and, and why do you it care? ain't your business again why do you care
1: how i spend my money i will say you know waste is bad so but I, it was a time of excess yeah Everybody a lot of people was are doing, wasting yeah and that's bad yeah
0: how am i being pointed out
1: this is so true yeah mind so. your business and I mean, some of these stories were a bit fantastical. Yeah. Um, a good for nothing that found wealth only due to the hand of hard earned money earned by white men. That's what it was. That was the story. Yeah, that was the story. Never mind that many Osage were skilled investors bucking the trend of the 20s to be gaudy and reckless. Full-blooded Native Americans were assigned guardians, like we said, by the government and told that they could withdraw only a portion at a time of their own money. In addition to this, banks and service providers were constantly gouging Osage tribe members. Everyone wanted their money. If they wanted to bury somebody, it would be like, do you remember the modern day equivalent? Yeah, but the modern day equivalent was like. Oh, I don't want to misquote, but it was over $10,000 yes, just to bury a high, body. And it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Soon, another Osage man was found dead in a car, leaving behind a wife and two children. That man had considered Hale his best friend. That's Rowan, right? That's Rowan. Yeah. yeah. So in fact, Hale was the beneficiary of Roan's life insurance policy, even though Rowan had a wife and kids. Um, Rome, make it make sense. <laughs> he was his best friend. Uh, Ron learned his wife you don't think you my beneficiary and and, and also, also better be
0: yours he was borrowing my, I don't know if you're gonna go into that go but ahead. He, he was borrowing money from him now this man is wealthy but he has to Borrow
1: money from somebody. So say names so no one's confused. Alexis is saying that Roan was borrowing money from From Hale. Hale. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense because Roan is the wealthy party, right? He's an Osage tribe member. He should want for naught. (laughs) So Roan learned his wife was having an affair and called Hale in grief and was like, can I have some whiskey? And Hale was like, no, I think you better, you know, not do that. So he was going to get whiskey without Hale. Right. And Hale warned him, don't do that. He never returned from his whiskey run, from his liquor run. At 15, Molly had briefly been married to Roan, likely an arranged marriage. Molly had never told her supportive husband, Ernest, about Rome. And so she chose not to cooperate with authorities when Rome's body was found. She had her secrets. okay. Mm -hmm. And her and Rome didn't have like a bad falling out or anything. It sounds like they were married as children, grew up and was like, no.
0: (laughs) But (laughs) you could. That's a big deal.
1: Mm -mm. Um, Osage families began keeping their porch lights on out of fear. Bill and Rita were convinced that they were being stalked. They thought they were being targeted. So they moved. Mm. But then they got a visitor. That visitor was wild eyed and strange. Then the the dogs on their property began dying one by one. That's crazy. They moved to this neighborhood
0: because they knew the dogs barked every time somebody unusual was in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then you get in the neighborhood and then all the dogs start
1: dying one Mm -hmm. by one. Insane. Yeah, and then one night, y'all, Bill and Rita's house exploded. It was clear someone had put a bomb under their home. Great, great. Molly, the sixth sister, sick from diabetes, right, was now the only sister left. At this time, the judicial system was riddled with corruption. One lawyer named Vaughn remained among the vigilant. A dying friend called Vaughn saying he had info about the Osage murders. Returning by train from the friend's bedside, Vaughn first phoned the sheriff of Osage County. He let the sheriff know he knew everything about the murders and would be on the first train into town. But when the train arrived, Vaughn's clothes were on it. He was not. This is scary. His naked body was soon found where it had landed after being thrown from the train. So whoever's Uh, orchestrating this has people everywhere. Major reach. (sighs) 24 tribe members were now dead and two who tried to help them. The government was going to have to solve this case and they have to do it without the help of law enforcement who were either corrupt or too terrified. Once sociable, Molly became a hermit. She even gave her youngest child to family members for fear she could no longer care for the child. She stopped attending church, stopped throwing parties. There's no record of her comments when the investigation bureau, which would later be called the FBI, came into town to see what was going on. There's no record of her comments when a new medicine named insulin was injected into her veins for diabetes. But she did send a local priest a secret message saying she was in fear for her life. Agent for Operation of Indian Affairs received another report. Molly didn't have diabetes at all. She was being poisoned. Now for the final part of our story. The evidence ban. Can you please describe this new borough um, and its first director, J. Edgar Hoover?
0: Oh, J. Edgar Hoover was young. Um, He was about 25 and he was determined to make changes. He wanted the men that work for him to function in a certain way, look a certain way. They had to wear a suit. They need to look like attorneys, I think. Mm-hmm. And so he yeah, he created this bureau and it was an image all about an image that he was trying to do. And he needed to change a lot of things that were going on.
1: Yeah. So. The borough needed to exist because there needed to be some policing of the police and there needed to be a type of law enforcement that couldn't be touched by local petty and non-petty, large corruption schemes. That was the idea anyway. Um, And so Hoover recruited these men who he wanted to be straight, laced, clean nosed, uh, white American men. Um, They couldn't carry guns at the time. They were really more like investigators. Mm -hmm. They were purely investigators. They didn't even have the power to arrest at this time. right? So let's talk about the team in charge of the Osage case. It was all headed by Tom White. Uh, Reporting directly to Hoover, White was the special agent in charge of the Bureau of Investigations field office in Houston. And then he got the call from Hoover. Barely 40 years old. It was already... um, He was already like becoming an outdated, old school type of lawman. Uh, The Bureau was his way of staying relevant. Honestly, he was the son of a hangman, of an executioner. Um, He enjoyed being in the law system. And he was kind of a cowboy in his mind. White went on to recruit a team of his own. Among its members were a 50-something-year-old ex-sheriff, adept at assuming undercover identities, an experienced deep cover operative who was once an insurance salesman and who still looked like one. I don't know what that means, but that's what they say. They got to look. They got to look. A spy named Wren, possibly the only Native American in the Bureau. Slowly the men began to infiltrate the Osage County. A few posed as ranchers. The ex-insurance man actually opened an insurance office and began selling bona fide policies. Yeah, do <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna get a job while I'm working my job. <laughs> and then Ren, the only Native American in the bureau, posed as like a traveling medicine man. Mm-hmm. White openly conducted his investigation as an investigator. Okay, he examined Anna's skull. And this is when they brought that meat cleaver to her grave and chopped her skull into pieces looking for an exit wound. But there wasn't one. And so White is like, well, then where's the bullet? Someone must have swapped it during that so-called autopsy.
0: That's crazy. Why are we taking out bullets and...
1: White spoke again to Rose and Joe. Remember, someone was like, well, Anna was flirting with Rose, man. And so Rose shot her. Rose and Joe had solid alibis, um, but their stories were almost like too identical. Mm -hmm. So it did seem like they rehearsed them. The witness who first pinned it on Rose and Joe admitted she made the whole story up, though. A white man had come to her home, drawn up the whole thing and made her sign the story. White realized the conspirators were not only erasing evidence, they were creating it, too white soon looked closer into molly's brother-in-law brian brian said he drove anna straight home before joining his family to see bringing up father this musical downtown yeah or if they even had a downtown whatever Whatever, right (laughs) there wouldn't have been time to also drive anna to the creek and shoot her so it must all be legit right? right brian's aunt and uncle confirmed brian's story but Anne had been seen by a group of white people outside of a hotel after the time Brian said he dropped her off. So did she leave the house after Brian dropped her off? What's more, someone was in the car with her. Who was it? According to one witness, it was who?. I don't Brian. Oh right. And it was a third man, though, right? There we go. <laughs> okay. So Brian was driving the car. Uh, White, White needed to figure out where they were going where they yeah. had been uh, White was able to create a timeline though Brian and Anna had headed to a speakeasy Brian's uncle had been spotted with them so perhaps yeah. he too had lied about seeing the musical yes, of in order to cover his track speakeasies were illegal this is the time of prohibition right. they were all drinking until 1am others reported that Brian and Anna left the speakeasy with a mysterious third man The Bureau was also plagued with moles and double agents at this Mm. time. No one aroused more suspicion than Pike. And you might remember that Pike was the private eye hired by William Hale to investigate uh, the murders after being caught performing literal highway robbery. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that's like really a thing. He was like robbing people on the highway. He got caught. Pike, the investigator. He got caught. so corrupt. Mm hmm. And he eventually confessed that he'd never really been hired to solve the case, but to cover for Brian by manufacturing evidence and generating false witnesses. He claimed he'd been given orders directly from Hale. What's worse, sometimes another person was present during those discussions.
0: Hale? William K. Hale?
1: (laughs) Who was present, Kari? Ernest Burkhart. Not Molly's husband. Yeah, and he would never speak about the case to Pike in front of Molly. So there's that. White wondered if Bill Smith, Molly's brother-in-law, had uncovered the secret of the murders, if that's why his home was blown up. All witnesses swore that before Bill died, he never divulged who killed him. When grilled further, Bill's lawyer finally admitted that shortly before dying, Bill said he only had two enemies in the world. Do you remember who those were, Alexis? Hail and earnest. Ernest Burkhart, and William Hale. This co- was corroborated by James Schoen of the Schoen family of physicians, the physicians of Hale and Burkhart's families. Soon after this conversation, one of the Schoen brothers informed a nurse that Brian was sick. When the nurse went to Brian's home, Hale showed up and asked, Bill, um, asked if Bill had told the nurse who killed him so i didn't say this before but when bill's home was blown up he didn't die right away so he was at the hospital and so hale is trying to figure out if he if bill talked while he was at the hospital and the nurse to her credit said if he did i wouldn't be telling you Mm. or like if he did i wouldn't be telling it but it soon became clear that as bill was nearing death doctors orchestrated for his lawyer and james shown to meet bill was pressured into signing his um Shown on as an administrator of Bill's wife's estate, a wealthy estate indeed.
0: And the way they um, murdered the couple, I don't know if you're going to say this. So they murdered the couple together so that to ensure that, um, The family, the Hale family would still get it, but it didn't work out that way.
1: So to make sure Ernest still got the money, right? So now we're really suspecting Ernest. Um, If a husband and wife die together and the wife owns the wealth, then it goes to her family. And that would be Molly and Ernest. But if the husband survives, it goes to him and his family. So... Uh, Bill survived, and that was not part of the plan. So they had shown show up, and they signed over his estate. Forced to, him, forced him. Yeah, it soon became clear that as Bill was nearing death, doctors doctors orchestrated this this stunt. So Fact. um. It was also clear at this time that white guardians were constantly stealing from their Native American wards, claiming homes purchased were for the ward, but really were for themselves. Buying things like cars and selling them to the ward for astronomical fees. Millions were dissipated from the Osage and spent by white guardians themselves. The schemes were heartless and corrupt, even leaving some Native Americans in poverty while their wealthy white guardians profited a fortune. There's a story of a woman whose husband died, A Osage woman. Uh, she had to move from her two floor home to a sh- storage shed with her children. Um, her children needed to eat. She asked her um, guardian if she could get money to feed her children. He said no. And her baby died. He said there wasn't no money left. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So yeah. soon, the insurance salesman uh, posing as an or the operative posing as an insurance salesman learned that Hale may be guilty of insurance fraud, ordering his worker to burn a portion of his land for the insurance money, um, and this poked holes in his you know Holier spiritual man yeah image. <laughs> Great. Mm-hmm. And then it was the matter of Roan. How did Hale become the beneficiary of Roan's life insurance policy? Turns out. <laughs> um, Hale had independently pushed for the policy, (laughs) claiming that Roan owed him a lot of money, like Alexis said. White found it hard to believe that Hale wouldn't just try to get the debt from Roan's estate. Likely the debt never existed. Hale visited a series of doctors and agencies before he found the right combination that would give him the policy he wanted. Um, Hale then forged the needed documents. The second insurance company approved the policy after Hale took Roan to a doctor for required examination. I think Roan was inebriated at the time. The doctor recalled asking Hill, Bill, what you going to do? Kill this Indian? And Bill joked, ha, ha yeah, that little baby. That's what you sound like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. OK, I want to read a section, you guys, of the book. <laughs> Oh, this is um, I'm showing Alexis a photo of we have here, Ernest and Molly that is in the printed copy of the book that a lot of family photos. Oh, okay. It says White studied the pattern of deaths in Molly's family. Even the chronology no longer seemed haphazard, but was part of a ruthless plan. Yeah. Anna Brown, divorced and without children, had bequeathed nearly all her wealth to her mother, Lizzie. By killing Anna first, the mastermind made sure that her head right would not be divided between multiple heirs. Because Lizzie had willed most of her headright to her surviving daughters, Molly and Rita, she became the next logical target. Then came Rita and her husband, Bill Smith. White realized that the unusual method of the final killing, a bombing, had a vicious logic. The wills of Rita and Bill stipulated that if they died simultaneously, much of Rita's head ride would go to her surviving sister, Molly. Here, the mastermind had made one miscalculation because Bill unexpectedly outlived Rita by a few days. He had inherited much of the wealth and upon his death, the money went to one of his relatives. Still, the bulk of the family's headright had been funneled to Molly Burkhardt, whose wealth was controlled by Ernest. And Hale, White was convinced, had secretly forged an indirect channel to this fortune through his subservient nephew. As White later reported to Hoover, Molly appears to have been the first means to draw Hale. Through the Burkharts, the assets of the entire family. Why couldn't determine whether Ernest's marriage to Molly four years after Anna's murder had been conceived from the outset as part of the plot or if Hale had prevailed upon his nephew to betray her after they married? In either case, the plan was so brazen, so sinister that it was hard to fathom. It demanded that Ernest share a bed with Molly and raise children with her all while plotting and scheming against his family. As Shakespeare wrote in Julius Caesar, where wilt thou find a cavern dark enough to mask thy monstrous visage? Seek none, conspiracy. Hide it in smiles and affability. Uh, Chills, right? You'll remember that Molly began developing diabetes, I think when she met Ernest and he was caring for her. Back to the FBI, or what would become the FBI. There are certain systems and practices that Hoover developed to make this new bureau shine. That be, really became the foundation of the FBI, like their training facilities and things like that. Um, Hoover saw men as clogs that were replaceable on a whim. He was <laughs> he was cutthroat and single minded. White found himself to kind of ingratiate himself to Hoover by mimicking the type of man that Hoover admired, but. White was steadfast in the case. I don't want to make it sound as if he wasn't determined to find um, who the culprit was, yeah, yeah. but he was determined to make this case look good. Yeah. And that's important. White found during his investigation that no one would speak against Hale. Hale knew too much and paid too many people. So White turned to upstanding outlaws. <laughs> one named Greg even described a meeting of outlaws joined by Hale. The outlaws be having meetings. And Hale came to one of these meetings, pulled one aside, and was like, I need you to kill an old man in his blanket. And that's how he referred to Indian women. The old man in his blanket, Bill and Rita. The outlaw refused to kill a woman, no matter the price, no matter where the woman was from. Potential witnesses were found already dead. One of these witnesses was a robber killed by a shop owner. You guys, this was huge to me. So, can you please explain what really happened back? when William Hale helped that shop owner to catch the robber and kill him. Okay, so let me um, think about how this happened. So,
0: well, somebody, okay, I, I I just don't even you know where it. to start because William Hale asked somebody to commit a murder. They do the murder. He then tells them, I think, There's diamonds in the store and he directs them to the store to get the diamond. Meanwhile, he also tells the shopkeeper, somebody gonna break into your store. He then, (laughs) when he, as we know what happened, Mm -hmm. he breaks into the store, finds a guy and he shoots and kills him. That way he takes, he was hiring people to do the dirt and then knocking them off by these shady
1: means. And this is insane. A, this is a great lesson in perspective because when you first read about Hale, he really does seem like t- a good guy. I mean, helping shop owners keep their products safe, the guard their livelihood. Yeah. Turns out he orchestrated that hit all along the whole time. Genius. It was a plot within a plot. Mm-hmm. Anyone who could pin Hale was being eliminated. Eliminated. Blop, blap blap off. But then White caught a break, a witness and a confession. Bert Lawson worked for Bill Smith, but found Bill was having an affair with his wife. Lawson quit. Remember Bill Smith, Bill and Rita? Mm-hmm. Knowing his hatred for Bill, Ernest, you know, uh, Bill's brother-in-law, Ernest visited Lawson one day and asked him to blow up Bill and Rita's house. Lawson was like, nah, I'm mad, but I'm not that mad. Yeah, yeah. Then Hale visited Lawson and showed him how to do it. Under duress, they took Lawson, who was in jail at the time. Hale could enter jails freely. Like people go to the mall or to the store. Hale could walk into jail and be like, Hey, you want to commit more crimes? They want to go into the prison and just be like, I got something for you. Yeah. I'll pay you good. Mm-hmm. He drove him to Bill and Rita's house. They blew the house up and they dropped Lawson back off in jail. Lawson confessed this all to White's men. White became very worried for Molly. Corpse by corpse, Hale had arranged for Molly to inherit her family's wealth, but the plot wasn't complete until Molly was dead. Once, while drunk, Ernest told Molly he was afraid that something might happen to her. It seemed even Ernest was scared. White knew Molly was often sick with diabetes, but he needed doctors from elsewhere to confirm her condition. Her priest had even said that she stopped attending church because he heard she'd been held at home against her will. Mm -hmm. The priest then received a note from Molly. She was afraid someone was poisoning her. Her insulin was coming from the Sloan brothers and it was making her worse. White couldn't afford to wait longer. They set out to arrest Ernest and Hale. Hale seemed unfazed, even cocky. Ernest seemed to be the one who'd break, but he was cool when questioned. White started to worry that Lawson had lied to reduce his sentence. Like I'm hanging my whole case on this Lawson guy just because I want him to be telling the truth. But is he telling the truth? Turned out he wasn't, but that's okay. It didn't even matter because he got the confession anyway. There was a scene where Lawson uh, walked in the room with Ernest and White, and he told Ernest, I told him everything. And Ernest is like, okay. <laughs> don't even really know you. Um, so it did turn out that Lawson was just repeating something he had heard while okay, being in jail. Yeah, yeah. But um, something made Ernest break. I mean, maybe his own conscience at this time. It was Blackie Thompson, wasn't it? Or maybe was that
0: before Blackie.
1: No, it might have been Blackie. Blackie was really, he didn't care. I'm not going to talk too much about Blackie. Read the book. Okay. Uh, He was his own man. So Ernest began to confess who killed who under Hale's orders. Witnesses were brought to corroborate Ernest's story and pieces fit. They knew who shot Roan now, a cow thief named Ramsey. Ramsey was like, I didn't do it. And I was like, Ernest said you didn't. And then Ramsey was like, oh, well, to get a pencil. <laughs> Let me tell you what else I did. <laughs> yeah. I got the story for you. He said he killed Bill and Rita, too. <sighs> yeah. You think that's bad? I also did this. <sighs> who killed Anna and who was the third man seen with Anna and Brian that night? Ernest had the answer. It was an undercover informant for the bureau named Kelsey Morrison. I knew not to trust people named Kelsey. (laughs) Morrison was supposed (laughs) to be working with agents to identify a third man and he was the third man all along. Crazy, right? Meanwhile, yes, Molly was near death and authorities were convinced she was being poisoned, but Ernest hadn't admitted to it. So perhaps he was too ashamed. I don't know. They also say that he might not have known. They didn't tell him. So maybe Hale hadn't trusted Ernest to murder his wife. So Hale was doing it somehow. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Authorities had Molly taken away from her husband and the care of the Schoen brothers. She was treated at a hospital and immediately got better. Great, great. James Schoen and his brother denied any wrongdoing. When Molly got better, she seemed terrified and asked for an interpreter. She couldn't believe Ernest was involved in a plot to kill her own sister. She loved Ernest. White discovered another disturbing development. Hale may have been the father of Anna's unborn baby, killing both her and his own child. Crazy. White could not anticipate the bitter legal battle that was about to ensue, one that could destroy his career and would be debated in courts for years to come. American media loved the idea of the Wild West being resurrected. They didn't see this as just a murder case. No, this was cowboys and Indians. How fun. It was really heartless the way this story was written up in the press.
0: But The press was disgusting the
1: whole time because they encouraged yeah, they said something had to be done about these Indians yeah, being yeah, wealthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The case began falling apart in court. Um, Ernest came. Ernest said he was going to testify. And then he came into court. He saw Hale, and somehow he got a private meeting with Hale's attorneys, yeah. and then he left the courtroom because the attorney said it was
0: he. He was his attorney too, and he had the, a right to meet Hale. When a Hale's guy
1: stood up and was like, "I'm Ernest's attorney," and the judge was <laughs> like, "Is he?" and Ernest was like, "No, sir." And they was like, well, we still want to talk to you. And so he was like, okay. And He's they saying. stuck in the middle of the yeah. courtroom. And guess what? He didn't want to testify no more. He ain't saying no more. <sighs> so both Hale and Ernest seemed to dominate the press, embarrassing Hoover. And Hoover really cared about his image and the image of his bureau. But then entered the double agent, the informant. I have to read this. Okay. <laughs> This is the final um, section I'm going to be reading today. And uh, it starts with Now It's Rain. Did you want to read it? No, you go ahead. No, oh, you read it. I've been doing too much. I don't even know what I'm going to be reading. You practice you should. it. No, I didn't practice. No. Oh. I didn't practice none of this. You got it. It's from here to the um, I ate my supper. I ate my supper. Ooh, uh, uh,
0: Thank okay. You, Alexis. Okay. <laughs> it starts at now as rain fell yes please okay now as rain fell and thunder clapped (laughs) (laughs) now as rain fell and thunder clapped outside the courtroom Morrison testified that Hale had plotted to eliminate all the members of Molly's family Hmm. Hale had informed him that he wanted to get rid of the whole darn bunch so that Ernest would get it all As for Anna Brown, Morrison said that Hale had recruited him to bump that squall off and had given him the weapon, a 38 automatic. Brian Burkhart had acted as his accomplice. After making sure that Anna was good and drunk, they drove out to Three Mile Creek. Morrison's wife at the time, Cole, was with them and he told her to stay in the car. Then he and Brian grabbed hold of Anna, and she and she was too drunk to walk, Morrison recalled, and so they carried her down into the ravine. Eventually, Brian helped Anna sit up on the rock by the creek. He raised her up, Morrison said. A defense attorney asked, pulled her up? Yes, sir. The courtroom was still. Molly Burkhart listened on, looked on, listening. The attorney continued. Did you tell him in what position to hold her while you shot her in the head? Yes, sir. You stood there and directed him how to hold this drunken, helpless Indian woman down in the bottom of that canyon while you got ready to shoot a bullet into her brain? Yes, sir. Then when he got her just in the position you wanted him to, then you shot a bullet from this 38 automatic? Yes, sir. Did you move her after you shot her? No, sir. What happened when you shot her? Turned her loose and she fell back down? Just fell over? Yes, sir. Did she make any outcry? No, sir. The attorney continued. Did you stand there and watch her die? No, sir. You had satisfied yourself that with that gun you shot, that bullet into her brain, you had killed her, didn't you? Yes, sir. Asked at one point, what he had done after the shooting, he replied, I went home and ate supper.
1: Girl!
0: Evil. Right. Straight evil.
1: So, it was after this testimony that Molly, thank you, Alexis. That was beautiful reading, by the way. Thank <laughs> like. you. It was after this testimony that Molly had to bury her youngest child. I don't know if I mentioned this, but when she started being really terrified, Mm -hmm. I did. She gave her child to another family to raise the youngest one. And now that child was dead and nothing was a coincidence anymore to anyone. Couldn't possibly be. So it made everyone sick to bury another Osage member, another child. Um, And so she, after burying her baby, went back into the courtroom and sat stoically. That's heavy. Ernest soon passed a note to the prosecution after the death of his child. It said, see me tonight in jail. The discussion went basically like, I'm ready to tell everything. <laughs> Ernest returned to court and sat on the other side of the char- on the of the courtroom. Like literally switched tables. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. And he also changed his plea to guilty. He then confessed everything openly. Ernest was sentenced to life, but he looked relieved. Before being led away, he turned and smiled at Molly, who returned his look with a cold one. It was Hale's turn, but there were questions if a jury of white men would see killing a Native American as murder or simply cruelty to animals. After members of the jury were bribed and the jury hung, it was clear that no white jury would convict um, Hale without Hale's confession. Native Americans began thinking they need to take matters in their own hands. So now White was in this odd position of having to protect Hale. And he hated that man. (laughs) I won't say hated, but he wanted justice to be brought to that man.
0: He was responsible for so much.
1: Against all odds, Hale was convicted, but he would not hang. He was sentenced to life in prison. Molly was surrounded by snakes and devils. They lied to her face when her sister went missing. They grieved by her side when Anna was found dead. They feigned shock when Rita's home was disintegrated by bombing. She eventually divorced Ernest and um, recoiled whenever his name was mentioned again. For Hoover, the Osage case was evidence of the nation's need of a borough that acted above state's reach. He drew up a pristine origin story, ignoring past failures. He never publicly praised White and his team as they didn't fit his image of college-educated, <laughs> science-driven agents. Mm-hmm. Plus, he didn't want to be overshadowed by them. Um, White became the warden of a prison, yeah. which was kind of like his dream, yeah. kind of following his father's footsteps. There is a scene where he was kidnapped. Uh, it looked like he was going to die. He was shot in the arm. That man lived to be 90 years old. Oh, and guess who was in his prison? Oh, right, Hale. Hale. Hale ended up being transferred there. And he treated all his prisoners, it seemed, with dignity and respect. Whatever. At 44 years old, Molly won her right to no longer be deemed a ward of the state. She could spend her money as she chose. She remarried a man that was half Cree. And according to her children, they were in love and lived a happy life but you may have questions. This explains Bill and Rita, right? Hale and um and Ernest. It explains the events in Molly's family. But what about the other over 30, actually the dozens of Osage tribe members that were killed? Why did the nation, why did the, uh, what became the FBI feel that they had solved the case by just arresting two men, two men, by the way, that were eventually released on parole after I think they both served less than 10 years.
0: <laughs> Good behavior.
1: hmm. Before the events in Molly's family and afterward, there were suspicious deaths of the Osage people. The writer then goes on to investigate further who was behind. Remember the gentleman that uh, was thrown from the train mm-hmm. who killed him? Yep. It wasn't Hale. What about the D.C. guy? What about the D.C.? The man that went to D.C. Um, by searching through a scouring archives, speaking to people, speaking to the grandchildren of uh, Molly and Ernest, um, David is able to find some uncomfortable answers. And the bottom line is that corruption um, bled throughout that county and throughout America. And this corruption facilitated the open murders of many children, women, um, family heads, support systems, all for money. And you can find the details in the book. And that's the end of our deep dive.
0: Ooh, Kari.
1: Should we take a break? Sure, let's do it. Let's do it. Thing? Absolutely. <laughs> I forgot to say this before the break, but um, as David Grant is talking to uh, Molly's granddaughter, mm-hmm. um, Molly's granddaughter mentions that her dad, who's cowboy, remember uh, Elizabeth and James were Ernest and Molly's children, right. so this is James' daughter. James found, um, James told her that the night um, Bill and Rita's house exploded, Molly and the children were supposed to be spending the night for fun. But James got an earache, which he often did, and so they didn't go. And James had to spend the rest of his life realizing that his father was going to kill him. That's crazy.
0: That's crazy. Kari,
1: thank you for that
0: deep dive. Mm-hmm. That, that was intense. It's an intense book. Um, but before we go into our final verdict, uh, let's Jump into the theme of the week. Okay. so one thing about um, Bill White is that he was a Texas Ranger Mm -hmm. at the age of 24. And so the book talks about um, Texas Rangers briefly. It says that they were created in the 19th century as a volunteer citizen militia to fight American Indians on the frontier and later Mexicans along the border. The Rangers had evolved into a kind of state police force. American Indians and Mexicans had long despised the Rangers for their brutal shoot first methods. Mm. But among white Texans, they were widely mythologized. As Lyndon B. Johnson later put it, every schoolboy in Texas cuts cuts his eye teeth on stories about the Texas Rangers I wasn't an exception. So that's what the clip, the book talks about the Texas Rangers. And it, um, the only thing I know about Texas Rangers is nothing. Um, <laughs> and that's from the TV show Walker, Texas Ranger, which I didn't watch. Did you watch no. that show? Do you know about that show? It sounds familiar. I think Chuck Norris was in it. Oh, Do you know yeah. Who yeah. Chuck Norris is? Mm-hmm. OK, so he was in that show. And like I said, I didn't watch it. Um, so I don't know much. But as I understand it, they were responsible for a couple of pretty a lot of pretty book cases, but I'm going to just talk about two of those. Mm-hmm. The first one is Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So Bonnie and Clyde were part of the Barrow gang. They were a couple and um, they were American gang that was active between 1932 and 1934. And they were outlaws. So they mm-hmm. weren't committing robberies, murders. They were straight up criminals. Mm-hmm. They were a gang and they traveled Through central United States during the Great Depression, Um, and their exploits were known throughout the nation, and they captured the attention of America and its readership. It says during its sometime um, the era where they called it public enemy, so Mm. public enemy number. Mm -hmm. So they were in that. They were again notorious bank robbers, and you know you saw the, the maybe you saw the movie.
1: Nah, I'll, the only thing I know about them is something about a Tony Braxton, Beyonce, and Jay Z. <laughs> oh, and Tupac. <laughs> okay,
0: okay, okay. Well, let me jump in. So, the guy that captured them, he was a Texas Ranger. Okay. Um, he was a longtime Ranger. He left in 32 and then um, wouldn't do something else. And then they called him back to help them track down Mm -hmm. Bonnie and Clyde or the Borrow gang as um, they were a part of. And he used his skills to track down Bonnie and Clyde and they engineered a setup for them to get killed. And Mm -hmm. it was um, they were supposed to. So this gang. These outlaws were supposed to have a meeting
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like they do. (laughs) They do. Mm -hmm. So they set it up so that they would have this meeting at this farm in Houston County. And um, they were supposed to be at that place all night, but they didn't show up. Mm -hmm. So like the Rangers was waiting for them and they waited all night and then to the next day. And there was no sign of Bonnie and Clyde. And just before they were um, about to give up, Bonnie and Clyde um, pull up. So it's around 9 a.m. on May 23rd, the posse concealed in bushes and almost ready to concede feet heard Clyde's stolen Ford V8 approaching when he stopped to speak with Henry Melfin's father. Henry Melfin was an accomplice, but he had, um, you know, switch sides, switch sides. Yeah, he was, um, he was planted there with his truck that morning to distract Clyde and forced him into the lane closest to the posse. The lawmen opened fire, killing Bonnie and Clyde while shooting a combined total of approximately 130 rounds. Oh my goodness. And that's in the TV, that's in the movie that Mm. um, they were made. I can't remember the stars of that movie, but it's in the movie. Tony Braxton, Tupac, Beyonce and
1: Jay-Z. They're not in the movie. I've heard the soundtrack. Okay, all right.
0: So that's one big case that the Texas Rangers are responsible for. The other big case is Irene Garza. Um, And I heard about this, I would say maybe five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, the Texas Rangers received coverage for this because this woman was a Texas beauty queen. And in 1960, she was last seen going into this church um, where the father, Father Fate, Heard her confession mm-hmm. her body was found five days later in a canal, and opsol autop- autopsy results revealed that she had been raped while unconscious no. and died from um asphyxiation no um fate was now the priest was the primary suspect as I don't know if a father is a priest, but mm-hmm. He was the primary suspect, but the case stalled for a lot of years. I mean, mm. it wasn't like a cold case. Um, they didn't have any evidence that was sufficient for a conviction. A Texas Ranger um, started working on the case again in 2002. Um, and then in 2015, under a new district attorney, they it was indicted a murder. The priest. The priest. Yeah. So it says in December 2017, fate was found guilty Mm -hmm. of murder with malice and forethought. He was sentenced to imprisonment, bringing to close the longest unsolved criminal case in Hildago County. Mm -hmm. So that was Irene's case. So what happened was, like I said, she she went to confession. She supposedly left confession And she never left. And she she never left, and the priest killed her. There is like a CBS News special or maybe Mm -hmm. CNN. There is a special about this that talks about this case. I think the priest eventually committed suicide, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, those are two really big cases that the Texas Rangers handled. um, And that's what I know about the Texas Ranger. And that is our bit on the theme of the week. So thank you. Let's hear it for our
1: story. Oh, the verdict. Yeah. What did I think about Flowers of the Killer Moon?
0: What did I think about Flowers of the Killer Moon? Yeah, what did you think? Okay. All right. (laughs) All right. This book is, um, I would say, definitely a fascinating account of um, greed, Mm -hmm. unchecked power, uh, corruption, exploitation. Um, and systemic racism, for Mm -hmm. sure, for sure. I had to remind myself, as I said at the beginning, um, that this was history being recounted and Mm -hmm. not a book of fiction because Mm -hmm. the way it was told, it was really excellent. Mm -hmm. And I actually listened to the book. So, and the readers did an excellent job. I thought it was two readers, but there were actually three and they did an excellent job. I don't think that this, the history of the Osage was taught in, In my American history (laughs) class, at the very least in college, I can't even speak to uh, middle school because Mm -hmm. I don't remember that high school. But Mm -hmm. for sure in college, it wasn't taught. But I would definitely recommend this book to anyone that wants to explore American history or um, or, again, that leans towards true crime, because this this was excellently written. Uh, Just many words in here that are just um, properly placed and Mm -hmm. well said. Oh, I that like I that. just um, really appreciate this book. So I would definitely recommend it. I read it again just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And as you told the story, I can completely say I did miss a few things, but oh. you did do a good job retelling Thank the you. story. So what is your final verdict? And would you recommend this book?
1: Yeah, I'd recommend it. I'm exhausted reading it. Mm-hmm. I, um, I hurt so much for Molly, her family, mm-hmm. and I was so horrified to read about the evils lurking in so many people. And the only key you needed to let those evils out was greed. Greed. Just have a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And these people really had no place on planet Earth where they could be left alone. Right. They were on American soil before it became America. These settlers moved and these colonizers moved in, these, and then these settlers moved and forced them off their land. And they said, OK, well, we're going to go somewhere where no one can grow anything. To we're, mind no our business. Yeah, yeah, we really just want to mind our business and continue living. Yeah. And then people said, well, this land is valuable now. So how dare you want to live there? Yeah. It's really disgusting. It is. Um, but it isn't a very politically motivated book. Um, as long as you're interested in the truth of how, um, life was at this time for a lot of Native Americans and the way the country saw Native Americans, the way the media portrayed them, if you're comfortable with those truths, um, then I think you'll really enjoy this book. What is not to enjoy in this, um, very inspired way of telling a nonfiction story, Mm -hmm. uh, the way he breathes life into it while not ignoring truth and while not. Um over not painting colors where colors don't belong. He's not taking liberties with people's character. I felt um, similar to the wager. Yeah. Grant just has a, a very sharpened skill uh, when it comes to the way he writes facts. Um, so it was a very enthralling book. I was on the edge of my seat from beginning to end. And I'm happy that Molly found happiness um, in the end. But no doubt the deaths of her family members haunted her and her lineage. That, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a heavy book, but very, very good. Very well done. And I would recommend it. Yeah, thank you. Wow. So what are we reading next, Carrie? We are reading "Fallen" by T.J. Newman, and if you're looking at us on YouTube, it's this book right here. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for listening to Lit Society's first episode of the fifth Woo! season. We look forward to meeting up with this cast of characters next week. <laughs> our audience, our literati. Okay, we're looking forward to it. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Anaria, and kari herrera Mm -hmm. support the cause by leaving a five star a 10 star really five star review (laughs) for our show on apple Podcasts and spotify you can also leave a a comment on both of those platforms Mm -hmm. and tell them why you absolutely love us because we love you too listeners readers literati we love (laughs) you um if you've enjoyed what you just heard tell a friend about lit society Lit Society. Visit litsocietypod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read something.